G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Murch. Recently, we've been awarded the best entertainment podcast in Australia, and I was going to talk to you about it at the start of this episode, but I'm still going to around it. So we're going to dive straight into our feature guests for today. Key out. Sydney indie band that have recently followed up their critically acclaimed 2020 full-length album Anthropomorphia with an album called Afterville, written and recorded by the band, mixed by Wayne Connolly and mastered by Mikey Young, released through Queensland's False Peak Records. From the group, vocalist and guitarist Pat Hayde and drummer Rowan Geddes join Radio Notes for a chat. Welcome to Radio Notes. Thanks for having us, John. When you join us, you're between two gigs. The venue you played last night is one of those classic Australian pub cafe venues. It's a really incredible venue called the Lincoln Pin at Woi Woi, and it's been there for a few years. It's um, run by a few folks that were in and around the Sydney music scene for many years, and this is about an hour out of Sydney, and it's just, it's almost a throwback, you know. It's people that show up for the music, um, they sit there, have a drink, chat, love music, we sold records, it was just the best atmosphere of a gig we've played in years and years. It is a little cafe, a little space, sounds great, but it's the sort of place where, you know, bands like UMI and the Hard-Ons and the Canaans and Sounds Like Sunset and just great acts night after night go through there. It's crammed with people that are just into listen to music and it's it's one of those heartwarming kind of places and obviously they've had a bit of strife over the last couple of years trying to uh, make ends meet and make all that work and they've pushed through the whole thing they've kept going some of the problems that they face you know are those common problems like how do you have licensing and how do you have the council bureaucracy and all those things it's not as simple as just you know, inviting a bunch of musicians to, to play shows in a cafe, you have to go through all these licensing and that sort of thing. So that's one of the the problems that's really restricted, just being able to play music in, in lots of places. But that's probably why I think people are appreciative of it as well, because they're like, wow, this is my local little cafe slash bar, and we can just show up there on a Friday night and hopefully <laughs> us being there and, made their night not just oh, I don't know it's just one of those things that music is like the same as when I was growing up and starting to go out and see bands and just following these venues because they were just so exciting and that sincerity of the, the place really comes through I think. What were some of those bands you were seeing as a young tacker? I think a lot of the, those bands like I remember uh, like Blue Bottle Kisser doing sort of reunion shows like uh, this weekend and uh, Knievel and um, I, I mean there were just so many that I was just a couple of years younger and I thought wow these, these people are sort of you know those couple of years difference can they can seem a lot older and more mature <laughs> at that point you know, and they, they were really inspirational and you know it's a real privilege they're still playing and some of those people have become friends and still have influence in a more personal ways. But yeah, it was just going to, you know, the Hopetown and the Sandringham and Sydney and the Annandale and all, all those sort of iconic venues where you could just show up and not really know anything about the bands and sort of have the best night of your life that week. 
Talk to us about the formulation because there's a number of great records now under the belt of Key Out now, including this latest one, Afterville. Talk to us about that process of deciding that this record was going to be made in the atmosphere that was going to be made because it's a particularly interesting recording process that this record went through. Yeah, well, uh, the you mentioned our, our few albums. Um, one that we did in oh, probably 2018, What Do You See?, the process around that time was Rowan and I was sort of the nucleus of the band and would get a sketch of something together, and we recorded that with Jay Walker from uh, Machine Place. So we went down to his place and sort of did a week of recording and then built things around that. And that was a really instructive experience for us, just seeing how he used the studio. It wasn't about using fancy mics and expensive equipment necessarily, really creative approach. He found things that were good, had some, you know, little guardrails, but just captured good sounds and worked with them. And I think after that recording experience, we decided to sort of jump in and have a go ourselves and that evolved through the last record and then this one. uh, And this one was kicked along by the situations of COVID and distance and everything else as well. But what we did was recorded it all ourselves, ground up, bits and pieces at a time, headed off in one direction, uh, used things, edited, kept building and sort of writing through the recording process as we were bouncing things off each other and finishing them. So you're not necessarily false starts, but... um, I guess part of that creative process was doing things, deciding they weren't the right things, subtracting a lot of what we put down on the tape and ending up somewhere we were happy with. Having things in your pocket that you're willing to build and work on. So uh, a song, when you say that, a song like Tree comes to mind and that was one short little kind of guitar line. We built an extended song around trying to just keep minimal elements building throughout the the few minutes to, I say building, but the the crescendo is uh, hushed in itself probably. The idea was probably to sort of find the the central or the the key or iconic kind of sound or theme and work with that rather than sort of piling things in and organising a pop song. Having that, building around it and trying to let the subtlety of, of some of that come through rather than, you know, some of the te- the, the temptation, I, I think, in, in the digital era is to put down 96 tracks and overdub and overdub and perfect things rather than sometimes just catching that moment at two in the morning when you, you record something with a cracked voice or a dodgy chord is the thing that really uh, captures the feel of what you're trying to do. Leaves is actually the opposite in terms of starting with a simple idea and then expanding it. Yeah, that started with four notes on the guitar and, and an idea of playing with upstrokes to, to be, you know, just completely sort of basic and make something make it sound quite boring. But that gave us sort of the space to, uh, to do something with. And we've made an effort over the last couple of records to edit, to, to be concise. This song... Um, was sort of heading that direction, but um, just found space and uh, ended up being a, the epic and album closer. And, you know, our friend uh, Dave, who's playing live with the band now, came in and played loud guitars all over that. And uh, 
Yeah, it, it um, blew out from a two-minute to a six-minute song. Ron, talk to us about how you keep that tight, how you keep six minutes tight and in its place, or at least having a narrative for that long. Pat and I have a really similar, um, I think, view of music generally, which, which is there's sort of a paradox because on the one hand, we both are into, you know, expansive, you know, shoegaze or whatever, however you want to view of that sort of music. I think we probably all know what we're talking about. Expansive guitars, prolonged songs, um, songs with a three-minute introduction and then a two-minute song and then a four-minute outro. <laughs> that sort of, and I, I love that stuff. I mean, we're both fans of all that stuff. But at the same time, I think for, for like for me, yeah, I do actually just get bored if there's not something about those expansive things that keeps you interested. It's the subtleties, I think. If I hear a pop song, something that, that is embedded in the music, that there's a three-minute song there, I just go, let's just do that. Like, it's, it is really, yeah, a process of, of that editing and, and saying, I think that's enough. And I think we're, I'm aware as well that, like, for someone listening to an album or seeing a band, it's obviously very different to playing the music yourself. I don't assume that people want to see me play for, you know, an extended period of time. I mean, if they do, great. <laughs> um, but really, uh, yeah, you just want to sort of get some kind of message across, some kind of vista into something as concisely as possible. And, and that's really helped us, I think, with that cutting things down to that's enough. The song stands on its own, so we don't need to need to embellish it. But that also gives the opportunity to embellish and to go on if we if we're in the mood. So and I think that that's also makes it exciting. You guys told the AU review you used various drum kits. Can you talk us through that process? Because within that six minutes you're jumping around a bit. It's just putting together and again like we've we've been fans of the sort of I mean on should show my Underground Lovers t-shirt, but um, I mean, they're absolutely, probably my, my favourite band if, if I have one. And that um, syncing together of really different drum sounds and somehow they, I think, are the, the best uh, people that just do that without it being, without you noticing. Somehow they, they slow these electronic sounds or just go into a song with an electronic drum loop. But it does, it still sounds like the band. It still sounds like... And you see them live and they're doing that or linking all that stuff. So I think that's um, a broader view of drums and percussion and what those sounds could be. I don't care if it's not an acoustic drum kit in a band. If someone's, if there's a drum loop, I like the sound and we go with that. And then we've tried to, I suppose, you yeah, blend those things together, overlap them. But sometimes I, I go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's that's an acoustic drum track that I did over a, over a loop. But I, I even forget where they merge, you know, and I think that's a good thing. Pat, you've moved into the Central Coast, that's somewhere in New South Wales, and uh, Rowan, you're still in some place called Sydney or around that sort of place. The record label's in Queensland and other members are in Melbourne. Does distance work in the favour of Key Out? I think it's made us think about what we're doing and how we're doing it a little bit. Uh, There's definitely pros and cons, you know, it does have its elements of being an absolute pain in the neck to organise. But we were probably given a bit of leeway by the social situation over the last couple of years as well, where absolute distance is something that people close together were experiencing as well. 
yeah, we have had to work out those sort of new ways to work, but it kind of complemented what we were trying to do and, and the way we were making records and producing things. It made us have some stricter rules around that kind of stuff, you know. We couldn't just get together and bash something out and make a record. It had to be a bit more deliberate. I, I think it probably uh, comes through a little as well, the fact that we're sort of distant and, and thinking and slow and deliberate about some of the things we've been doing. Based on that, how much of this record, or your records generally, but particularly Afterville, is written down or on the screen in terms of notation or where the song is actually going to go before the record? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I'd say probably very little beyond that that sort of central trunk. I think that most of these tracks, um, when I think back on them, uh, were probably built around starting and playing a little bit, but then perhaps just a, an acoustic guitar line that we would riff off with different things, you know. Maybe a synth would sit over the top of that and that might be the thing that we worked with or perhaps the drums and Rowan said sometimes we were using loops, sometimes sometimes we recorded two different types of drums, you know, play this one straight and play this one crazy and bits and pieces come in and out. Then sort of dictated to an extent where those songs would go. I don't think we had, in any of these tracks had a preconceived endpoint, knew what would be the single, what would be the short and long song, where they would land. The recording space, I believe it was an abandoned house. Well, uh, most of this recording happened right about um, the time, well, it was being finalised right about the time I was leaving Sydney. So, uh, you know, we'd started it in my... Um, my old old rental and, and as I was moving up here and we had empty rooms that we could use and space and things and try to capture some, some reverb of, of a place, also a place where we were away from everything and had an orange tree out the back, you know, uh, we made the most of that as well. It was a hopefully a first and a first record that we make in this place and something that um, we can make more of over time. It'd be a miss not to talk about the mixing of the record because when you have someone but that of Wayne Connolly on your very recording, how was Wayne involved in this? And for those that don't know, he's worked on records for the likes of Underground Lovers, Hoodoos, as well as UMI. But for me, from the 90s, playing on the radio, he's, he's from the Meanies. Yeah. One of the first shows I played with a band about 20 years ago, a band I used to play called Eyes of Space, was supporting Knievel when Wayne was, uh, when that was his... Uh, gig at the time and I was like oh wow we're playing with Wayne's band and our drummer at the time said hey Wayne do you want to make a record for us and he said oh yeah okay so we found some time in between all the things he was doing at festival and other places at that time doing you know this was post his welcome that stays but yeah I think just in the midst of UMI exploding and all of those records that classic records that he did we met with him there and played with him over the years and he's been a, a really good guy to be able to, um, you know, obviously there's there's a lot that you can do in the creation and the recording process, but there's probably no substitute for somebody that has listened intensely in and out of music for decades, knows about the space of sound and where to compress and where cascading reverbs sit and to be able to organise all the things we put together. One of the bits of feedback he, he uh, gave us as I was talking to him as we were mixing, he wasn't entirely happy with 
and multiple drum kits and drums everywhere and how he put different sounding kicks in phase and so you know he's done an amazing job <laughs> i think tidying up our loose ends rowan how do you feel about that censorship and considering where the censorship was coming from in some ways i would defer to wayne as the you know yeah <laughs> tidying up the loose ends yeah because i mean i mean the history with wayne for me is very similar it's sort of back in that late 90s period when so many bands were getting started and Wayne was probably playing a bit more live at that point with, yeah, with Knievel. And, and it was just, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of trust. And I mean, that's, that happens with any producer. There's just a really high level of trust that you sort of, everyone has a sort of vague idea of where you want to get it to, but the difference is how you actually then get it to that point, I think. But yeah, there's, there's just really good trust there that it's not going to change the essence of what's actually there. It's just going to make it again easier for the listener to actually understand what you're trying to do. Less confusing. Not to lessen it, but we'll quickly get through the mastering as well. Mickey Young, where should we know their work from? Uh, Eddie Current Suppression Ring was his uh, great band that were around for a few years and uh, Total Control. But yeah. He's been mastering a lot of records, Australian and international records, and it's just got a small little setup and makes great sounding things. Speaking about sound, is that a dog trying to have their say? That's the record cover dog. The official mascot, I think. How is it to have them on the road with you? Yeah, she's a, a good uh, sort of recording companion. Well, patiently sit under a desk and warm your feet, trying to do takes in the early hours of the morning. A lot of late-night uh, conversations about where the record's heading. Yeah, really good listener. Great thing about some bands is that the ideas are very distant, that they come from different places and then accumulate, obviously, together. How would you rate that distance between the band members' ideas of what music is about? Oh, that's a good question. Probably not one that we've necessarily, I think, explicitly thought of. And maybe that comes back to trust. I think at some level we like a bunch of similar bands but also dive into all sorts of different things and and record and have been recording, you know, remotely and at different places and things and without much direction. And I think that both in this recording process, things that Rowan has done and Saskia has done and, and Caroline has done as well were not things that I necessarily expected or directed or anything like that when I put a, an initial line down and said, hey, throw something on this. Also that of travel, because obviously it opens up with train, but do you get a sense of freedom when you are in a travelling in a perpetual kind of motion? May that be in a train or a car? Yeah, well, we recently actually uh, did a drive and a good um, space and the, the song that comes to mind immediately is, is Wide Open Road by the Triffids. That we were, you know, we were blasting some Triffids on our drive to Brisbane. And the way that Australian bands need to travel through cities, you know, days travel to Brisbane, days travel to Melbourne, days travel to Adelaide. Drivers about, I think a lot of these, the songs on this record are about that sort of distance and escape. And, and Drive was, was an attempt at, uh, sort of capturing that in, in probably the more pithy kind of pop song end of the record. That's one that we built around that sort of 909 loop. A whole heap of arrangements. I think, you know, we pulled a lot of them out, but it still remains one of the 
probably more sophisticated and delicate sort of ones with synths and uh, closely mic and overdriven acoustic guitars pulling away from each other and creating dissonance. There's a lot of fun in the film clips. Is that important for you, that once you've recorded an album, that the visual representation has a bit of fun? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we can uh, we can probably tend to the important and don't necessarily want to stray into the over-important. <laughs> there are important things to, to talk about and sing about, and it's also quite fun to get into a tiger or tigger costume and juxtapose ridiculous visuals with more serious music. <laughs> Playing with the electorate, and I believe there's a, a person called Josh Morris in that, but there's also a cousin called Jack O'Neill. Can you talk to us about Josh and Jack and what they bring to, particularly together, but across this record? Yeah, oh, the electorate's a great band. They're, um, the, the members used to be in a band called the Temple Bears about... Oh, decades ago and then split and Josh fronted a band called Atticus. Nick Kennedy played in Big Heavy Stuff and Knievel and any number of bands, a great drummer. And Elliot Fish also played in Big Heavy Stuff. And Josh has got this just amazing sort of captivating baritone voice. So for a couple of bits on our record um, where we needed a low singer that we couldn't necessarily do, we asked Josh to come in and do some singing and my cousin Jack, who also has a, a low voice, so we recorded the both of them. On a couple of tracks, the Electrics put out a record uh, last year, an incredible record. We pl- actually played with them at the Bali. Those guys are just, you know, professionals. have been in one of those sort of bands where the guys have played in all of your favourite bands for the last 20 years. Super songwriters, great players, and can't wait to play with them again. Who has been one of the favourite bands that you've been on stage with over the journey? It's a difficult question because cause there's just uh, literally so many. Probably, again, I, like I was in my foggy brain state, I was remembering back to, because um, we played last night, we played uh, Dave Chalinoff from Sounds, Sounds Like Sunset and uh, did a solo acoustic set, which I'm pretty sure is a first. It may have been a first for him, certainly a first for me to watch, but... I played drums in Sounds Like Sunset originally, and I guess the nostalgia is there, but I do remember one of the first shows that we played was with Blue Bottle Kiss and Knievel, and we were just starting out. felt like we didn't know really really know what we were doing. There were definitely sprawling songs. I think, I think it was like we had three or four songs and we had to fill a 40-minute fill a set <laughs> rather than... You know, the other way around sort of thing. So, so there was lots of sprawling, that's what I can say. But the thing was that both of those bands watched our whole set, which was a thrill, and sort of like cheered after every song. And I think it's still a really vivid memory. And I think um, going on first and, and seeing bands after you that you really respect and admire, it still really sticks out in my, my memory as a sort of supportive they sat through the whole thing, they enjoyed it, and, yeah, it was just really memorable, I think. Just tacking back to your um, first um, question, um, I just wanted to talk about uh, a recent show that we played in Brisbane. So our, um, our label, False Peak, is a relatively new label, been around for three or four years. It was actually their fourth birthday. They put on a showcase with all of the bands playing in this great hall that they'd hired in Fortitude Valley 
and the bands sort of played throughout the day. And that was a, a really sort of ex- inspiring experience. There's um, Terra Pines played with us, who put out a, a great record, just these incredible sort of pop songs driven by incredible drumming, two fuzzy overdrive guitars, guitar interplay, and those sort of blissful sonics and melodies over the top. That was great to see, but it's also quite an eclectic sort of label. There was ambient and electronic music in morning and rock bands on there and sort of emo-tinged acts from Brisbane as well. That was a great day. What are you as a band getting from the label? I mean, from a heartfelt sort of sense. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, probably especially the last, uh, what should we say, how many many decades, um, I think with the sort of financial support in a way falling out of labels uh, with digital stuff and all, all that kind of stuff. It's not, I mean, sort of it used to be, you know, these uh, people from record labels sort of hunting hunting the next band to have on their label and to make the next Nirvana. I mean, that was sort of the, the very, a very simplistic analogy, really. But uh, I think now it's much more sort of smaller labels are essentially almost like one person running it out of their bedroom. There's always been a certain amount of that. But, but I think then you, what you get is someone who really appreciates your music and your, your records. And there's a much more personal touch to that and, and sort of someone in your corner, as it were, to promote that. And that's really nice and really kind of flattering, I think. It's really about feeling supported and having someone who understands your music and really genuinely wants other people to appreciate that music as well. That's what's at the core of it, I think, for, for me. False Peaks seem to be a label that know exactly who they want on board and are going to nurture that very sound. And the label manager, I believe, is a musician themselves, so they've been there, they've done the hard yard. It's really inspiring, I think, as well, you know, that A, having someone in your corner, and B, the community that is built around that. And it's almost like the Lincoln pin as well, you know, when you see people going out, doing the work. It's a slog sometimes to be in bands. I can't imagine what a slog it must be to manage 14 bands and releases and Mm. someone's real sort of heart and drive and dedication and ideas go into that. You know, when you occasionally hit the wall or have had enough of uh, being in a band for a little while and and you've got someone like that standing behind you and building school, it's, it's nice. How's it feeling, Pat, to have the label in another state? Back to that idea of distance again. Is it actually refreshing? It was sort of refreshing to start with a new label and talk to someone about new ideas and and new things. And that distance is further than it's ever been, Um, you know, spatially when we we talk about the band and the labels and the organisation but it's also getting easier to traverse that distance and to be able to maintain relationships and communication and all of that stuff through technology as well. So it's, it is something that's been different. It's not like we can't go around to Remy's house and knock on the door and pick up a box of records or anything. It also, again, probably makes you, you think a little bit more about what you want to do when you, you're doing it and, and how, how that's going to happen. Talk to me about the actual getting a record, physical record, produced. I think, well, two things. First of all, you need a, a slightly different master, and 
you know, someone with greater technical expertise than me can explain that. Something different needs to happen with the bottom end when you're scratching grooves into fossil fuels as opposed to uploading something digital. Not the most environmentally friendly, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have something that's not digital ephemera. But pressing has been very difficult over the last year or so, and, uh, you know, it's been explained to me that major labels are repressing Phil Collins' 40th anniversary records and, you know, taking over the few sort of small presses there are. and So the lead times can be six months, eight months. It's a very rewarding process for you. Is that the feeling you get when you finally see what you've been working on for a number of months, years, in your hand? The vinyl phenomenon is obviously very tangible and you can put it on and see, see the record spinning around. There is something a bit about that and when we putting out albums is as much about the visual, I think, as the listening in some cases. I mean, the film clips and the, all that stuff, but uh, there is still something very, you know, and I think with the CD sort of going out of, you know, I mean, I don't know whether people buy CDs anymore, but it's, it's either digital or vinyl. But I think the vinyl, you get a, you get a big poster you get a, an image, and that takes time to curate and put together as well. And has always been a part of music, that, that visual thing. So I, I think I think having the the big um, box of, of vinyl records. Hopefully, if uh, listeners out there get on board, we won't have a big box of vinyl. We'll have an empty box. But there is a sort of satisfaction in in that, having that, those objects. The artwork on this final record. Those those images come from uh, just out the front of this place. The the recording place uh, again like a, a late night sort of stumbling across something that that we thought was nice taking some photos some slow release sort of photos uh, capturing colors and images and I think that uh, I'm, I'm a blurry person on one side and Caroline on the other and you, you'll get a bit of well the surrounds of where this is made we're probably about an hour from Sydney but it's almost a different world you know there's it's a bit slower, there's more space, there's nature, there's uh, birds in and out of the trees and, you know, wallabies up the hill as well. A great place to be able to, to think and make art, to sort of uh, be able to unplug a little bit from the, the bustle of the city and, and do something different. Some quick questions as we round out. Rowan, what are you reading at the moment? One of the books I was going through was uh, Christopher Hitchens' biography <laughs> uh, for a few years ago that I hadn't read. That's been really interesting. I've got David Sedaris's new short stories on the go. I love David Sedaris. What draws you to their work? I think it's both the fact that he's incredibly, like, just a bit, probably the funniest person that whose work I've ever read, but also so heartfelt. And, you know, you can go from, from one page to just laughing at the ridiculous and outrageous things that you're doing. And the next page he'll be talking to you about how he and his partner have just had a crisis. A family member is ill and passed away and, and just talk so movingly about that. Perhaps that juxtaposition between the hilarious, the tragic, the reality of life. I'm going out on a limb. Leaves is the, uh, possibly the new single from the album, so it's good that I go on a limb to find those said leaves. Rowan, are you much of a cook? I'm a bit of a cook. I'm a landscaper by trade, so I have a bit of a veggie garden as well. So, yeah, even though I'm, I'm still in the, the thick of the city, 
I make it up as I go a lot. I'm not much of a recipe a recipe guy. I love to be inspired by whatever I've got lying around or, or growing, hopefully. How aesthetically pleasing is your job? Yeah, it's, it's good. And, and hopefully my job is to create, again, maybe this is the, the analogy with music, is to create little vistas. I mean, most of my work is in and around the inner suburbs of Sydney, older houses that are, you know, 100 years old, but they've got some falling apart backyard or, or the, the good old sort of just concrete the whole backyard uh, <laughs> trend. Yeah, but to, to make those small spaces really usable. Pat, for you, this record, Afterville, what does it represent? I think it's an, a, a, a bit of an escapist work, like a lot of ours. And a lot of it was written in and around the time that I was thinking about and, and moving away from Sydney. So uh, a document of a, the last few years, it's probably of that, that distance and that moving and that thinking about new spaces. How crucial was that move away from Sydney? I'm sensing there was some, a lot of pressure going on at the time. Yeah, uh, it's something that um, I've been thinking about for, for a while. You know, where I was was a place where it was increasingly difficult to sort of have the, the space and time and resources to make music and do art and those sorts of things, which feel a little bit more achievable now. And it's something that's been, you know, I guess central to to my person for a couple of decades and something that I wanted to keep doing and that I think I can keep doing a little better where I am at the moment. Pat and Rowan, thanks very much for joining Radio Notes. Thanks very much, John. Pat Haid and Rowan Geddes from Key Out. Release Afterville out through False Peak Records. Find them online at keyout.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Key Out's Pat and Rowan for being our feature guests this time round. Next time, as a feature guest, will be Angie Glasscock from New York City talking about their latest record and the life they have for themselves there. And also, if you're an Adelaide Fringe artist, 2023, now is the time to let us know what you're doing for your season. Radionotes at writeme.com is the email to get in touch. That's radionotes at W-R-I-T-E. Me.com. We want to know what you're doing sooner than later. That's if you're an Adelaide Fringe Artist 2023. Please get in touch so we can be in the loop. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.